0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is
1: Wednesday that means it's the Dome Patrol or Harden to Paint with David Grubb and so welcome back again the one and only Ross Jackson who just continues to add jobs
0: (laughs) (laughs) he is taking
1: all the jobs Uh, this I keep is why rolling, the unemployment man. employment numbers keep getting changed it's because it's all me. you have all the
0: jobs it's all me I, i'm i'm making it if you look at it from the jobs side of it <laughs> i'm keeping the nation rolling if you look at it from the employment percentages man i'm ruining everybody's life you, right you now kill
1: it you are blowing <laughs> the curve you are that guy right now and everyone is waiting for you after class because you have turned What would have been a B into a C or a D for some of us. So we keep it hustling, though. I'm so proud of you, man.
0: man. I appreciate that. Tell folks about
1: the latest job title you have added.
0: So I'm taking on, uh, it's, it's still within the Locked On Podcast Network, so I'll continue to host Locked On Saints daily. No change there. Uh, I just take on a little bit of an expanded role with the network as the NFL and college channel coordinator. So I, as you know, I've worked in live theater for the past like 10, 11 years working as a stage manager. So I'm essentially doing that same type of quality control, but across all 76 shows uh, with the NFL and the college channels. And so it just becomes my, you know, those, those two things, they become my babies a little bit, you know, making sure that quality is there, you know, being the guy that is sort of the liaison and the advocate for the host, making sure that they're getting what they need. And then just relaying information, you know, liaising, liaising <laughs> and stuff. But man, I'm, I'm loving it already. I'm having a good time. Uh, I'm in a position where I'm able to provide opportunity, which yeah. is something that we've discussed before here on the show being very important for people like us to be in those in those positions. And that is a very active mindset of the Lockdown Podcast Network. So I'm very grateful to be able to be a part of that. And you just multiply
1: i mean as much information as you already get, mm-hmm. you just multiply your access to even more
0: yeah. to
1: that, and it just I think it'll make you hey, you know you're already fantastic at what you do, but I think it sharpens you Appreciate even more
0: hey, man, that's what it's all about right It's all about being better tomorrow than you are today, it's all about being better today than you were yesterday, and so that's 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 the trajectory I'm trying to set right now, <laughs> yeah and so let's just dive in
1: uh the number one thing in sports right now is. It's COVID-19 and has been for months, but now we are at that stage where decisions have to get made. We look Mm -hmm. at what's happening with major league baseball and that is a sport built for social distancing and yet they can't (laughs) get it right. There's no bubble. Teams are on the field last night, you know, almost having a bench clearing brawl in the midst of all this. But shout out Joe,
0: shout out, shout out Joe Kelly for being a savage though. Like for real
1: the walk-off <laughs> was the best his face that's a meme that's a meme forever that's a gif I, that's gonna go forever
0: i have saved that for the uh all lives matter crowd i'm gonna just send that photo every single time <laughs> his, that i mean i don't blame him for doing what he did
1: you know what i'm saying he didn't hurt right. nobody he threw it behind no. him right. so he's just in a message but at the same time how stupid do you have to be to forget everything in that moment? And that's the whole part of it is that's that's what sports, right? That's sports in the moment. Do you think that on a football field, just to have that as an example, a late hit on Drew Brees, you telling me the linemen are going to be like social distance, right? Stay back. Drew, get up on your own. Right. I mean, even Drew Brees has been talking about, I got to stop licking licking my fingers. Yeah. Yeah, because the ball is being touched by so many people. Right, it ain't a clean. We've known that. Get what right. guys do with their mouthpieces.
0: Right, people Shoving spitting on the, the, the people spitting out on the field and everything too, and it's just somebody picking it up, wiping it on their, their, that.
1: <laughs> 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 you know, I, I mean, kids do it, adults do it. Wiping it on this on your pants, which serves no purpose. Right, and then stick it right back in your mouth, and it's just. So now yeah. we're seeing these things. Players had their deadline to opt out. Um, and we have the double-edged sword of, they opt out, they don't get paid this year, but also their contracts roll over mm-hmm. for another year and are extended in that manner. Mm-hmm. Not a ton of big names, but there were some. I think Marquise a Goodwin
0: Marquise Is one a big was expected
1: win. to be a big contributor for the Eagles.
0: And his his video, by the way, in terms of like him explaining why he was opting out and everything, was just fantastic. I watched that and I was like, man, take two years off, bro. Like, (laughs) do what you do what you gotta do, fam. Like, be there for your family. I I loved, I loved, loved slash, you know, I mean, he's going through a lot, so it's hard to use the word loved. But uh, just the courage of sharing all that and the courage of these guys to opt out, knowing that they you know are in positions where to where they need to. So I I loved, I loved Marquis Goodwin taking the time to do that.
1: And the Eagles are expecting big things out of him this season. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they made a trade to get him. So, it's a loss in that way for the Eagles. But So, on the on-field, you know, thing. And it affects the Saints, too, because the Eagles are one of those teams that was supposed to be in contention for a high playoff spot. I mean, they –
0: 12, 13, then they play week 14 right. at, the end, at the end of that three-game road trip. So that's a key spot, right? Because yes. usually teams don't win that third game out of three when they take that road trip. That's the, the, te- the, the uh, game with the lowest win percentage for most teams historically. And then you also look at the fact that Philly's one of the, the sites that has already said no fans in the stands. So we know that that's going to be in effect. So this compounds for them, uh, for the Saints, in terms of why these couple of moves are important in Philadelphia
1: and don't and, and for people who haven't don't remember the thing about Goodwin is that downfield speed. Oof. He he gets downfield very easily. Mm-hmm. So that puts less pressure on Saints receiver, I mean uh, mm-hmm. def, um, defensive backs yep. because that's one less downfield threat and the Saints have the other major down, major threat that the, <laughs> at the <Right>. wide receiver <laughs> position that the 49ers had last year. Right. So it kind of works out to their benefit. Um, in that regard same with the Packers a team the Saints play in week three to lose Devin Funches and have Mm -hmm. him opt out Funches who has not been the superstar that he was predicted to be coming out of Michigan but has been a very effective option at receiver especially for a Packers team that didn't address offense at at all in the draft
0: they straight up said we're gonna just draft every backup we need after the next couple of seasons, they <laughs> they immediately went to Baggins. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at now, it, it remains to be what we've seen before. It's where Devontae Adams is the big threat at the wide receiver position, Aaron Jones is the big threat at the running back position. You're able to continue to focus down to limiting that offense by limiting one player in each element, and one one player in each dimension. And I think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind for what this defense already likes to do, because this defense already likes to take the runaway and force you to pass the ball. Now when you only have one option because you lost Devin Funches, who, yes – it, like you mentioned, is not the most effective guy in the entire world. The Saints, of course, very familiar with him. He played in Carolina for many years. But still, he was the next best option for that wide receiver core in, uh, in Green Bay. He was that pickup, that addition that was supposed to sort of take the, the Green Bay Packers away from the conversation that the Saints were having last year where they only had one option. And so now they've sort of gone the opposite way that the Saints have with this opt-out.
1: And Funches, again, that size is such a big part of him and his Mm -hmm. game. Just being able to be that guy who shields people off on third down, I think that was something that was going to be critical for the Packers. And to lose that is a significant loss for them because there aren't a ton. Maybe the other ones are going to call T.O. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. Bring that 4-4 over here, big man. (laughs) Bring that 4-4 out to Green Bay. Right. (laughs) You'll you'll probably run like a five four with the weather here, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah,
1: you know, Over cold here. ain't good for them old <laughs> bones, man. We know. We know, know. I, I know. I know for sure. The Pats lose six players, and two of those very notable in Patrick Chung oh. and Dante Hightower. Yeah, very important pieces to that team, and they've all and they've made that decision as well. I think it's easy. I think a lot of people. It's an easy narrative to say. Well, they they knew they were going to lose this season, so that's why they're out. I'm not going to throw that on anybody who makes that mm-hmm. decision.
0: No, no, no. Because that's not why that's not why people are making these decisions. People are making these decisions based on personal health. People are making this decision based on personal comfort. These are personal decisions. This isn't a situation where they're walking in and going, eh, we're punting on this season anyway, so I'm going to just hold my contract. Like, that's right. not like these guys want to be out there playing, but they want to be out there playing at a point to where they don't feel like they're risking their lives any more than they already signed up to do in order to do so. You know what I mean? And so it's that sort of like there's acclimated risk and then there's (laughs) COVID-19. And it's a very, very different conversation. The thing about the Patriots that's really interesting is that you saw them release nine players just a couple of days ago to get their roster down to 80 immediately. So they wouldn't right. have to go with the split squad, but then they lost those additional six players that opted out. I think that it's smart. When you look at the saints, they didn't jump to cut a bunch of players. They're waiting for testing, which could send players to the COVID-19 to that, that COVID reserve list. They're waiting for these opt outs to continue to roll through. It's a smart decision. I think for the teams that aren't in a rush right now, particularly when you only, when you have another six days until anybody's really reporting for even just for strength and conditioning, you know, it's a smart decision to wait a little bit longer. I think that that might be Look, it's Bill Belichick. So maybe there was a reason for that, but I do think that that gives you uh, something to look at in terms of like, if you're concerned about teams not cutting down to the 80 immediately, this could be a reason why.
1: Yeah. And that I, I wonder how those conversations go within the buildings,
0: right? Because
1: there is the opportunity here for teams and players to start, hurting their relationships based mm-hmm. on that additional year of the contract, I think is something that is really biting some, it's going to bite people in the butt. And yeah. it's it, so that alone shows you that these guys have to weigh this very heavily before they do this, because you are literally giving your team a, you're taking no money for the year, right? Get nothing. And on top of that, you have to add another year under your contract, which and like you've talked about before, you can be traded, you can be right. cut while you are out. So you've taken away a ton of options for yourself. So for anybody who thinks that they're being petulant or just being, you know, oh, they're putting themselves ahead of their team, you—they are taking on a tremendous loss by making this time. decision.
0: It's big time. Because what team? What team wouldn't say, "All right, you're going to opt out. You're not available for us in the 2020 season." You're going to be coming back in 2021 on a three year deal at a year older, a year off of your feet, a year away from the game, right? I'm going to ship you off for somebody that's available right now that's on maybe a one year deal. Get out mm-hmm. from under there, that new con. You know what I mean? Like there's so many different elements to it that you really put yourself at risk if you say, I'm going to opt out, especially if you don't take the high risk opt out if you just take the voluntary opt out and it just sort of feels like you're just making the choice based upon like personal comfort. uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say it like that, but you know what I mean? Like if people look at it that way and certainly owners will look at it that way, some GMs might look at it that way. And so being able to make those types of personnel moves or be moved within those personnel decisions after making a choice like that, like it's not an easy choice to make. It's not an easy choice to make because you potentially put your status with that team in jeopardy.
1: Yep. And for the saints so far, a couple of veteran tight ends, but not guys who move the needle for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it from what you're seeing, it's a lot of offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of defensive players, mm-hmm. um, predominantly who are checking out. Size, as we know, and we've talked about this before, yep. size of players is a factor. And then we've also talked um, about this. The susceptibility for coronavirus increases immediately after strenuous activity. Right. So in the three to 72 hours after extraneous activity, which in the NFL is every day, right. You are making yourself more susceptible. And I think that that is a real and legitimate fear for these players. When you look around a baseball clubhouse and almost the entire team is infected before a road trip. How I just don't see how in football from people doing, you know, leaping into each other from the day to the, the day to day practices What are you going to do? Seven on seven every day? Right. You know, what are you, are you going to eliminate physical contact? Are you, you can't do that on game day Mm -hmm. and and what are you going to not have kickoffs? You going to not have punts. I mean, it just seems like there's a recipe for disaster here because if baseball can't control it, it just feels like football is going to have a really difficult time with this.
0: Yeah. I, and I think that they will. I mean, I think that this is going to be difficult and, you know, I, I would love to say that the NFL is prepared for it to be difficult. I would love to be able to say that they're doing things like expanding practice squads to 16 so that if they lose some players and they can do that. But what happens if you have 14 players that test positive, like what happened with the Marlins right now, we should acknowledge, of course, that the Marlins situation started off with three players. It got worse because they didn't follow the 113-page the, the operations manual that they spent months arguing about, right, and, and potentially not playing over. They didn't follow that. They decided via a group text led by the shortstop, which is their sort of key team captain, according to the team manager, that they were going to go out there and – or, sorry, team captain of sorts is the phrase that he used, and that they were going to go out there and play anyway. And then the Phillies, knowing that some players had tested positive – made the decision to say, I'm going to just go run bases with the mask on and try to keep f- as physically distant as possible. Those are not smart decisions. Like the, the idea behind what was supposed to happen there is that those players that were tested and tested positive before the game, at whatever point that was, that should have been team going into quarantine, contact tracing, eliminate you know, the, the spread at that point. So it just goes to show you how important Like you spend all this time figuring out and ironing out these protocols and everything, whether they be travel protocols, which the, the NFL's travel protocols are pretty solid. Um, I think that there's some things that they'll learn how to improve upon. I don't have those suggestions, but what they've done is pretty good. Uh, and, you know, once the, all that stuff is set, the responsibility of the players, responsibility of the team and the responsibility of the organization and league to maintain those protocols, I think is going to be very extremely important, right? If you have three players that test positive, Don't say, all right, let's figure this out via group text. Who's coming out to play today? Like, make the right decision. Make the right decision.
1: But this is the NFL we're talking about. Right. And players lie about concussions. Players lie about (laughs) injuries. Teams lie about injuries. I just wonder, you know, and and if the testing goes back from daily, if they decrease that once the season starts, if they're doing Mm -hmm. it two or three times a week, if my testing was on Thursday – and game day is sunday that's not an indicator i mean that's That's, how many players are going to play playing positive
0: yeah at that point you could be infected and transmitting for three to four days before you even get the result of the test back and you're already undergoing another test which means you're already back in the facility getting that next test you know what i'm saying and so it's it's you know that's so the one thing that we can say and it's unfortunate to say this because we've said this before and the nfl squandered it is that they've got time they don't have <laughs> as they, much I know, I know i know they don't have as much and they, they certainly had more before and they squandered it all away and they didn't use it but if there's any advancements in terms of rapid testing accessibility of rapid testing before they get into september i think that that type of uh, that type of addition to the protocol will be helpful, right? In terms of being able to actually test before a game, like the morning of a game mm-hmm. or something like that, and then getting the most up to date information. That would certainly be helpful, but there's no guarantee that they're going to have that. And so these protocols and the idea of like, once you take this test, you have to go into quarantine and you are not going to quarantine, excuse me, you have to self isolate up until game time. Those are things that are going to have to be, you know, you, you can't be Lou Williams in Magic City. Like you can't have that happen to you in the NFL because you end up going straight from there to full on contact immediately, mm-hmm. you know, two days later with, you know, guys that are, you know, I- I- inherently high risk simply because of the position that they play.
1: Absolutely. And what's what's funny, too, is I look at this as the exponentiality of sport. So basketball mm-hmm. is a sport that's 12 to 15 guys, right? and five coaches, maybe. So you got 17 to 20 people with your trainers. Baseball's 25-man roster, coaches, trainers, all that. So you're talking about 35 or more people. Mm-hmm. So do- almost double what the NCAA, NBA has. Now you go to the NFL, 53-man roster, double-digit coaching staff, trainers, sideline people, yep. ball people, You know all those things.
0: Your medical team.
1: You're still talking about 80 plus people on a sideline. The
0: the the crazy thing about it is that if you look over the, the travel, um the the travel protocols, the traveling party for the NBA in terms of taking an entire team to the bubble was 35 people per club. That was it. And then they, you know, they did they split them up in terms of travel over those three days and everything. Great plan for that. But when you look at the travel party for the NFL, just tier one and tier two individuals. So players, coaches, staff, you know, uh, uh, what's the word that, they, that, that we use? Uh, essential, right? Since essential personnel. personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, 110 people that will travel by plane, by group, heading from city to city to go and take on their next, you know, to, to go in and, and, and be a part of that next thing. And then, you know, look only players and coaches are allowed to eat together, but still, like you mentioned, that's 53 players plus a 16 player practice squad that could potentially be training that the, you know could potentially a, a portion of that could be traveling as well. Then all of those coaches, all of those strength and conditioning coaches, all those people that, you know, just populate the sideline for the NFL, keeping the sideline socially distant alone, is gonna be a task, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, the like, backup,
1: the the, ba- uh, the the backup coach, as they call him, the guy who tells right. Me that
0: he, right, right, right. How right. do you stop Wait. those
1: clusters? <laughs> right, because in the in, I mean, you look at the NBA and you see how far apart those seats are, and they're still trying to manage guys. But at the same thing, they're in this bubble, and they've had no cases yet. So right. the NFL doesn't have a bubble, right? It, on the sideline. How do you do line groups after they come off the field? How do you take your old line and go talk to them and talk about the last possession? I mean, we know that they do a lot of stuff with, you know, the uh, tablets and and try to communicate that way. But I can't, I'm trying to figure out how a coach, after his team comes off the field and he wants to talk to a specific unit, how do you do that? How do football coaches stand there with their masks on, players with some type of shield on on the sideline or whatever? Are they going to be required to wear their helmets at all times to keep that shield up? Mm -hmm. How does this work in practicality? Those questions still have yet to be answered. And then we have no preseason games to To practice (laughs) this and see how it works. Not even a 20-minute, like just say we're going to do a quarter and just practice this and get the kinks out. There's none of that. So we're not going to see what this looks like until game day.
0: Yeah, that's got to be something that the team takes upon themselves to do, but that only, you know, that doesn't pair up the other team. It doesn't give another team that you're facing the same information. There's no universality amongst that information. That's just going to be, you know, I, I would imagine that Sean Payton and the saints will go that extra mile to do that kind of stuff. We know that they're doing, you know, um, Coronavirus uh, education, as well as protocol education during this time, virtually while the players are getting tested, which zero positive tests, according to Mickey Loomis, at least to his knowledge, when it came to the Monday group, so the rookies and everything like that. So that's good news. But now, while they're self-isolating, waiting for their second test, which should be today, I think, then they'll have uh, or tomorrow, then they'll you know continue to do all this education and everything like that. So hopefully, that's that's part of that but in terms of just getting in and being able to practice all of this work it into the bones understand okay this is how we this is what this looks like you can't replicate it you can't do anything with it until you're out there week one and by then it could quickly it could quickly be too late
1: and some of these things are so like, you can't say, let's say, we're only going to let the home team be out on the field to warm up for 20 minutes. And then we'll bring the, the visiting team out for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter because they're all right. going to be on the field when the game starts. Right. So there's it's about not, that. It's, it's yeah. just, there's no way to create a preventative situation once everybody's in the building. Right. So, all right, let's move on. Um, the, the, the press conference that uh, Mickey Loomis did have, mostly good news. I mean, there's no yeah. real bad news in it. It's a typical Saints press conference.
0: Right. No particularly emotion. Mickey Loomis. Particularly yeah. Mickey Loomis.
1: He ain't here to say much. <laughs> He's here to get in and get out. No holdouts. The rookie class I just show is... up
0: so I don't get fined. That's right. Mickey Loomis.
1: <laughs> I'm not really here to answer your questions. I'm here to tell right. you what I'm saying, and I'm here to bounce. So, rookie class assigned. Okay. We knew that wasn't it's a four-man rookie class. It shouldn't have take right. that long. Done. Right. Um, like you said, no mentions of any contract extensions with Aldo Kamara or Ryan Ramchak. He's not going to talk about that. He never does. No, so I don't no, know why no. you even bother asking the question. He's going to tell you I ain't saying
0: that. He, he even said that too. He was like, y'all always ask me questions about contracts and no, I can't give you an answer. <laughs> he
1: won't. It's not even can't. He could. Right. Yeah, he yeah. won't. Well,
0: won't. I'm not telling you. <laughs> he's not
1: the Dallas Cowboys. He's not going to negotiate right. in public. That yes. ain't his way. Oof. You know, Oof. so you take that and I mean no holdouts everything's good for the Saints so far it's been a very quiet in that regard on the field and roster building
0: offseason for this team yeah it's great I'm glad to see that Um, you know the, the big holdout question this offseason was always going to be and always was Alvin Kamara he's eligible for an extension at this point and everything the, the CBA kind of the new CBA kind of helps to do away with holdouts but even still like you saw some gestures towards it you saw dalvin cook threaten he didn't do it but he threatened you mm-hmm. saw uh joey bosa not show up until literally like he, his reporting time was at 5 p.m he walked in that building at 4:58 and then got a you know five-year extension so he made it work don't get me wrong <laughs> he only needed them two minutes but um but you know you saw some sort of performative gestures that would have probably in previous years been a holdout you didn't see or hear anything, at least about that, when it comes to to the Saints. We know Michael Thomas had a little holdout at the beginning of last year's training camp, which was pretty expected. You know, when you're, you know, when you are who Michael Thomas is in terms of what he, the way he produces on the field, and the contract that he was on made perfect sense. Uh, Alvin Kamara, just, I, I just honestly, with the injuries last year, with the lack of production last year due to the injuries, with his position value. And with the fact that next year's salary cap could be as low as $175 million, he just, I mean, there was no leverage. Like, None. there's no leverage to, to negotiate. You know what I'm None. saying? For a new contract like and that we'll, anyway. So. And we'll get into that a little
1: bit more later when we start talking about value of mm-hmm. players. Um, here's a quick thing. Okay, so yeah. I do want to give credit to Drew Brees for donating $5 million to Oxner. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was impor- that's very important. Yep. The, the, our health services are are really struggling um no matter where you are in this country right, right now i just look at that in comparison to the only other announcement he's made about donations this summer mm-hmm. and that was to the black college football hall of fame as a mm-hmm. um what does it call it the presenting sponsor presenting
0: producer presenting, presenting sponsor yeah, which yeah. is
1: the I hate to say it, it's the lowest tier of sponsor mm-hmm. you can be as an individual. Right. And there are other players who are doing it as well. A lot of teams have been involved in this in the past as higher level sponsors. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get an amount. And right. we've not heard anything else since on these things. Now, of course, his focus should be on football. Absolutely. Right. Sure. At this point, and his family, those two things are paramount right at this time. But it just does, it does kind of concern me just a bit that, There was so much forceful talk in the beginning and and across the league as a whole um, that we've kind of seen this momentum die down, particularly Mm -hmm. among those folks who said that they were going to be allies in this. Right. And I don't want to make him the scapegoat. I don't want to have people think that. But I'm just saying it's representative in my mind of just around the league, this slowing of momentum.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I hear you 100%. And I think the thing, the thing to acknowledge within Drew Brees' most recent announcement at $5 million is that he is apparently, the way that he made it sound, at least in that in that video, is that he's specifically targeting uh, communities. That, what, what they love to call us underrepresented communities. I sometimes replace that with unrepresented, period. Uh, no. <laughs> Let's call it what it is, unrepresented communities. Uh, but he did make a focus to put the focus towards that, which is, His vocabulary and the access that he has in terms of his uses of vocabulary to what those communities look like, specifically mentioning that the first center that gets built, this first community center that gets built, community health center, excuse me, that gets built will be in uh, NOLA East and everything. So there is a little bit of at least a more pinpointed focus than what we've seen from him in the past, which has usually just been a sort of, I don't want to call it an umbrella but, you know, it has been a little bit of a blanket statement every right. other time to where it's to Louisiana, it's to New Orleans, like mm-hmm. it's the, the, the general, which we've talked about before. The thing that's always been missing is sort of the specific targeting, not let me not say targeting, the specific pinpoint attention to communities of color, mm-hmm. right? And so you're seeing a little bit of that with those types of statements and with those mentions, but it still doesn't come up to, you know, you read, you look back at Brittany Breeze's statement in particular, a while back, about you know all that talk about action and everything like that, and you're still waiting for the big gesture—not even gesture. Let me not say that. You're still waiting for the big action. action. Right? You're still yes. waiting for the big thing, right? Not performatism, not and not not you know a gesture. You're still waiting for that big piece of action that comes through, whatever that may be, whatever that may look like. This doesn't constitute it for me. I'm I'm with you 100. I appreciate it. I understand why it's important. It is extremely important. And I'll give him even a little bit more credit than I usually do based on the fact that he's pinpointing those, those specific communities. But I'm still waiting for that big move, right. that big and, piece of action. And, and I don't that's, think that's unfair.
1: No, that's because unfair once you say it, once you say it, this is right. the job to hold um, accountability. It's not right. a negative thing to say, Hey, remember when you said this? Right. Like, what are we right. going to do next? And that's, I what think, we've
0: been, that's what we've been talking about for so long is how important accountability is in these situations. And that's what we want from the league, too, which has still been yep. very, very
1: quiet yep. since the hostage video. We are now. Um, we don't <laughs> I love weeks, that you caught it. Weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's still the NFL has said nothing. Nah. Nothing other than nah. lift every voice and say. And <laughs> <laughs> that ain't cut it for me. One of the fun things this week has been the unveiling of the NFL's top 100. 10 players left to go, but so far, six. New Orleans Saints have been uh, revealed uh, and seven are total on the list. Mm -hmm. So the one that has not been placed is Mike Thomas. And we'll get into that in a minute.
0: I got Uh, got some things to say.
1: So (laughs) the five, well, the Saints that have been placed so far, we'll go through each one. First Mm -hmm. you have Ryan Ramchick
0: at 82. 82, man. Come on, dog. Like, Here's okay. Here's let me preface everything that I'm about to say with this fact. And every and and I talk about this all the time, so I I want people to know this about me. When it comes to top, I hate top 100 lists. I don't care if it's a list of the NBA's top 100 dunks. It does from 15 to 100. The last 85, it's all the same crap every single time. All that matters is that you made the list. But every now and then, every now and then, there are people that get ranked in such a way either when you compare them to other players on their team or you compare them to other players at the position, the positional rankings to me are always the most interesting part of this. And then the the rankings within the team because effectively, if you rank Ryan Ramchick at 82 and he's the last ranked saint, you're saying that of the seven saints that make this list, he is the least important, which is a very tough thing for me to grasp because in the very, uh, the, the two-and-a-half-minute clip that they showed where they talked about him, they mentioned that the Saints ran for 4.4 yards per carry in 2019, but when running to either side of Ryan Ramczyk, it was increased by a yard, 5.4 <laughs> yards. So how are you going to sit there and say that and then tell me that he's less important than the person that's actually carrying the ball?
1: And then you talk about, like you said, some of the players that he's behind, not just the Saints, but around the league when we talk about running back value and we say it's decreasing and yet he is way behind guys like Nick Chubb and you right. tell me, would you, if you were a general manager today and somebody said, I'm giving you five years of Nick Chubb at $5 million or 10 years of Ryan Ramczyk at $15 million. I would still take a random check at 15. Taking
0: my 10 years. Yeah, for real. I'm taking my 10 years of a guy that can turn any other running back into five years of Nick Chubb for less than $5 million. Like, that's not a problem for me at all. I completely agree with you. And I think that, like, the positional value of his own, of his own position hurts his rankings as well because we give so much more love and so much more appreciation to that left tackle position Mm -hmm. as opposed to the right tackle position. And we do that because we like to talk about, you know, the popularity of the blind side protector and everything like that. Like the blind side blocker usually is the left tackle when you have a right-handed quarterback. Majority of the quarterbacks in the NFL are right-handed. So that blind side protector ends up being the left tackle. But the thing about it is that you look at the guys that rush off the right side. Look at the guys that rush, that are pass rushers off the offensive right. You look at J.J. Watt. You talk about Danell Hunter. I know he doesn't play against them, but Cam Jordan. You have some fantastic pass rushers, some of the best pass rushers in the NFL that are now rushing off of not the blind spot, not the blind Mm -hmm. side. And so you have to have, and and even if you don't have that, the best pass rushers rush from both sides. Khalil Mack uh, is a prime example of that. So you look at that, and there's no reason that Ryan Ramchek, just because he's a right tackle, should be ranked lower than some of these other players at positional values that should be far less than any player along the offensive line. Like I'm a guy honest. like a Laramie
1: Tunsil, who is a very right. good football player, mm-hmm. but is no way more valuable than Ryan Ramchek. I mean, right. it just it makes no sense to me in that regard. And like you brought up JJ Watt. Tell everybody, just go look at film of game one last year. The only game in J.J. Watt's career where his name was not called a single time. No right. tackles, no sacks, no nothing. nothing. And Ryan Ramcheck did that to him one-on-one for the vast majority of that night. Yep. That that right there. If you have J.J. Watt placed where they have him in the top 20, 25, and you're going to have Ramchick at 82, right. something don't seem right to me.
0: No, I, I completely, completely agree with you. I will say that Ryan Ramchek will be a key cog in the wheel for keeping Drew Brees as socially distant from defenders as possible. <laughs> because yes. if he was able to lock down J.J. Watt the way that he did, and, and really against all of the other fantastic pass rushers that he matched up against this year, he matched up against some fantastic pass rushers in 2019 and was incredible. He didn't get incredible. murdered
1: against the, the Falcons. Mm-mm. No, I mean, the 49ers oh, didn't destroy him. Right. So, it was I mean, like, yeah. what,
0: 20, 20 pressures total in 2019, if I remember correctly. I can't remember what number they said on the, on the broadcast, but their numbers, I think, were around 20. And that's insane for the number of pass rushing snaps that he played in 2019.
1: Exactly. So then the next highest is Marshawn Lattimore at 76. 76. 76. So first we had the Madden <laughs> problem. <laughs> and now, and and you say you'll take it for mad because that's a video game, and these right, are not, like, but these whatever. are the players, right? And they're saying Marshawn Lattimore is seventy six,
0: and this is coming off of the better year than he had in two thousand and eighteen. Now, two thousand going coming out of 2018, going into 2019, he, he wasn't on the list. And I think that made sense because his 2018 was not great. That sophomore slump was very present. He had some injury issues, in- in- inconsistency. And the last thing you want from your number one corner is inconsistency, right? The only thing worse than that is unavailability. So when you look at where Marshawn took that next step in 2019, he was playing back at a very, very high level, just like he did his rookie season. I don't have too much trouble with like, Marlon Humphrey was ranked above Marshall Lattimore. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. I like Marlon Humphrey. I like the game that he plays. Tredavious White was ranked above uh, Marshall Lattimore. I'm also okay with that. But I also think that all three of those guys should all together have been ranked higher than they were ranked in the first place, if that makes sense. No. Like, these are all top 50 players that we're talking about, at least in my mind, particularly being number one lockdown corners. We're talking about positional value that's the guy that erases half the field when in a it comes passing to, league. Right. When it comes <laughs> to the offense, like this is that, that you're talking about positional value. All right. Everything that affects the run game should be pushed towards the back of this 100. Everything that affects the passing game, should be pushed towards the top. And I think you see that with quarterbacks. I think to an extent you see that with wide receivers, although RIP Devonte Adams, apparently, because we just don't really, we just don't really show him any love at all, but You know, these corners, these guys that are taking away the entire half, let me say a third of the field, those guys should be ranked much higher than that 80 to 70 range.
1: And then within that group, now you get Demario Davis at 67.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's an all pro caliber player. The best. Uh, Well, I mean, it's him and Camp Jordan 1 and 1A as best defenders on the team. But you could argue that DeMario is the most important defender because there is no replacing his production or his abilities.
0: Yeah, his communication, like everything. Like You're not just paying for a linebacker. You're paying for a coach out on that field when it comes to demario davis and the thing about it is that like look i'm just glad he made the list because my man is so slept on all the time <laughs> and everything and again positional value we talk about off-ball linebackers and we don't credit off-ball linebackers the same way that we credit pass rushing linebackers khalil max tj uh, a khalil Mack, a zadarius smith a, a tj watt like we we look at those guys oftentimes in terms of the general consensus of position Uh, position value as higher than that of the off ball linebackers, even though the off ball linebackers more times than not more immediately affect the passing game, as you mentioned. And so, you know, you saw names like his Fred Warner was at 70. Fred Warner is a fantastic off ball linebacker in this league. Levante David was at 100. I think Bobby Wagner is the highest ranked off ball linebacker, but Bobby Wagner is also a little bit of a hybrid because he contributes very much in the past rushing game as well. But DeMario Davis had four sacks last season. Right. I'm saying he's no slouch in that, you know, when they needed him and stuff. I think the only reason why his numbers weren't maybe higher than that, you could have seen him with 5 or 6 had they actually been blitzing or rushing their second level for the first 13 games of the season, but they didn't have to until Marshall, Lattimore, and Sheldon Rankins got hurt. And then that changed what the defense looked like. But because you have a guy like DeMario Davis, he's able to excel no matter what it is when you have to change that defense. Positional versus, I'm sorry, positional value doesn't play into the fact that just in terms of his value, period, as a player out on that field, defensive value, however it is that you want to look at it, he should be ranked higher than some of the other saints on this team were Mm -hmm. ranked, I'll say, or, or one in particular and likely should have been ranked higher than some of the other players that we saw ranked above him uh, when it comes to other clubs, other teams, and other positions.
1: Yeah, I think they sleep on his versatility. Like you said, mm-hmm. his ability to affect both the run in the pass, the right. fact that he can cover sideline to sideline. Now, we've mm-hmm. seen him cover tight ends. We've seen him cover backs. We've seen him, like you said, at the point of attack. He is a huge reason why the Saints have not given up a 100-yard rusher in either right. of the last two seasons, I mean, it's yep. it's on. He, he's carrying that weight for a linebacking core that has been inconsistent around him. He's mm-hmm. been the mainstay, and the defense has remained. The last two years have been two of the most productive years for the Saints' defense under Sean Payton.
0: Yep, and DeMar Davis is such a huge part of that. You take him out, and then what do you what do you have?
1: <laughs> now, the one that got us both <laughs> is Alvin Kamara. At 42. (laughs) Alvin Kamar at 42. And I would even say the immediate one right above him, somebody that Saints fans are interested in, is Jadavian Clowney at 41. Right. First, Alvin Kamar, 42 is way too high for me. And he shouldn't be above any of the three Saints that he's above.
0: I completely agree. Like, okay, so this is when we talked about Ryan Ramchek increasing the run game by a yard when you're running to either side of him, right? So we're not just talking about one side. There's a larger uh, uh, potential for, you know, being killed by the percentage. If you look at both sides, didn't matter. You still have him increasing the run game by a yard. And then you also look at, you know, uh, Pro Football Network has a really, really great metric called offensive share metric. Mm -hmm. And what it basically is, and it's something that we've talked about before, is how much of the offensive production are each individual player actually responsible for? Right. So you look at that and you say, all right, how much of this yardage that Alvin Kamara uh, racked up, how much of it is he actually responsible for creating in that metric amongst running backs in the NFL who had over, I think, I can't remember what the, what the, what the cutoff was in terms of, you, you know, you had to have enough uh, carries in order to qualify and all that running back 26 in this conversation, what about 26 running back two in the league was Latavius Murray. <laughs> <laughs> In the same metric, and so like you, you have you, you're talking about a running back that either relies on getting the ball thrown to him in space, yes. to where he can then churn and cook while he has space. He caught a cumulative negative 24 yards before the catch this year, as opposed to positive 60 some odd yards last year. So he went from uh, an average of 0.8 beyond the line of scrimmage to a 0.3 behind the line of scrimmage. So he was held back because of that, because of the fact that he wasn't, you know, put in space. Uh, ahead of the line of scrimmage more often than not things like that, that can factor into it. And then in the run game, he was held because of the fact that the offensive line was able to create for him. It was one of the things that they were able to do. Now, we can't forget that uh, Alvin Kamara missed two games, right? Nope. For the most part, for the most part, we can't miss it. You know, we can't forget that. And so that certainly plays a big factor into what his yardage looked like. Had he been able to continue those two games, particularly the Jags game and then the Bears game where he was completely out, and then you had the the Cardinals game as well. So really it's three games that he was affected. I'll say it that way. Um, you might have seen a greater yardage total from him because he just simply would have gotten more opportunities. But all of that would have been contingent upon how well the offensive line played in those games. That's why I think Ryan Ramczyk, without question, is one of the most valuable players. If maybe the second or I'll, I'll say maybe the third or fourth most valuable player for this Saints team behind probably Michael Thomas and uh, and uh, Cam, Cam Jordan. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
1: so for Kamara again, we talk about positional value. Running back is a devalued position he is like you say, doesn't create a t- and this is not to insult alvin kamara no not at all not at all but and we talked about this before we started recording if you removed him from that group of four mm-hmm. he is the least uh, the team is least affected by his absence right they can move on and create offense if he's not there, you have, like you said, you have Latavius Murray, you've mm-hmm. added some pieces around the, the, the offense now to create some more of those matchups in space mm-hmm. uh, with a Ty Montgomery possibly, right. with even Emmanuel Sanders can catch those kind of quick passes and, and make something happen with them. But if you lose Ramchek for a season, you're done. If you lose DeMario right. Davis, you're done. If you lose Marshawn Lattimore, you're done. There's yes. no way that those players should be 20, 30 spots behind Alvin Kamara in player rankings when you're that replaceable. And that's right. that's not saying he's not talented, but in this league, he is
0: far more replaceable than the other three. Right. And it comes down to his position. Like, I mean, we can, we can both sit here and say, yes, Alvin Kamara is an absolutely special talent that's unmatched across the league outside of maybe Christian McCaffrey in that conversation. But even still, they're both very different players in terms of what they're able to do and how they achieve it. There's no doubt that everything about Alvin Kamara when he's on is spectacular. There's no doubt about that. And there's no taking that away from him, but because of the position that he plays and because of the way that this offense can produce with or without the run game, as we've seen, because there have been certain games where the run game has been taken away from the saints and they're still able to produce around Alvin Kamara, even if he's not producing in the, in the, uh, as, as a receiver in the passing game, they've been able to do this for years. But one of the things that they've always struggled with, you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, you look at 2014, 15, and 16. What was the big holdup there? Not not having a run game, which was an issue those three years, but not having a defense, right? Mm-hmm. So it always comes down to, as you mentioned, how are things being affected in the passing game, or in some cases, how are things not being affected in the passing game, uh, and how you know what your presence is there in pass defense. So I, I completely agree. I think all three of these players. That were ranked behind Marshawn. I'm sorry, uh, Alvin Kamara should be ranked ahead just simply based upon how much more valuable they are to their team.
1: Um, and then we talk about like some of the other ones that are weird. Dak Prescott at 40. Right. When, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Dak is at no 46. 46. Me, Dak yeah. Was yeah, at 46, which is really strange to me in a quarterback league.
0: Right. You and know what it, was even more strange to me? Jimmy Garoppolo at 42 ahead. Right!
1: <laughs> You're telling me Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Dak
0: Prescott? <laughs> in no world. In no world is that true. You're talking about a guy that was completely carried by three running backs the entire season. Look at what he did in the And a playoff. tight end! And a, tight, and a tight, end. tight end! And look at what he did in that, what was it, the NFC Championship game? Threw nothing! <laughs>
1: What, he had a combined, what, 20-something pass attempts in the uh, first two rounds of the playoffs?
0: Right, right. And then Raheem Mostert went off for 200-plus rushing yards. Like, you were carried, fam, like 100%. Same thing with the Ryan Tannehill conversation, too. Like, Ryan Tannehill carried by his running back the entire way. It makes – like, this
1: is why players make no sense to me. Right. And having (laughs) them judge, and they constantly tell you that, oh, the media doesn't know, you don't get it. But then when you put out rankings like this – it's right, like, like, what do you expect? Are you taking, are you taking them seriously? Are you just clicking names off on us? Or, or, okay. So then
0: <laughs> <laughs> the next
1: highest saint is Cam Jordan at 23. Yeah. How yeah. did you feel about that spot? That's a, I think it's fair.
0: Yeah, I'm okay with that spot. I'm okay with that spot. Like, I don't have any complaints about it. I love the fact he got the Jordan number. He got 23. You know, I, I'm, I'm neat like that. I'm fine with that. You know, he's just outside of a top 20 player in the NFL. Like, when you're talking about this league that has 53 players per team, that's fantastic. Like, that's a great place for him to land. You can argue that he should be ranked higher. Feel free. But... Maybe your wiggle room is between maybe like four or five spots higher, right. and that's really as far as you can really, really get with him. But I, I love it. I'm glad to see him get that kind of love and get that kind of representation here, because again, he to me is in the top three. For me, top two of the most important players on this team, and even just within looking at the Saints that were ranked, he falls into that that conversation, which I think is the appropriate spot for him.
1: And then you have Drew Brees just outside the top ten at twelve. Um, and I thought it was ironic, too, before we go back to Breeze, is that Julio Jones comes in at 11, his jersey number. His no, jersey jersey like the 11. symmetry. <laughs> and he ends up at 11. But it's, it's it, the one thing I wanted to say about Julio is that he comes behind the receivers that like – we've had this conversation all summer long about the, the stratus of receivers. He fell in third. Right. He fell in third amongst yeah. them. So that felt appropriate. Breeze at 12 also seems appropriate, higher than Tom Brady. Higher than Aaron Rodgers, but out of that young group who is taking over the league.
0: Yeah, I think that that's that's totally fine. And honestly, like if you would have, depending upon where you had like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers falling, like if we would have if we would have been able to get these rankings a little bit more appropriately to where those three quarterbacks, probably all three of them should have been a little bit further back, more into that sort of Cam Jordan range. I, I, I wouldn't have been mad to see that either. But the relationship between the quarterbacks in terms of the positional ranking, I think is makes sense. There is no reason to believe that Tom Brady is a better quarterback going into twenty twenty. If nothing else but looking at the fact that he's with a brand-new team and a brand-new system with brand-new players and a brand-new piece of communication, right? If nothing else, just looking at that, there's no reason to believe that that is going to produce a better quarterback in 2020 than the guy that's been a part of his system for, you know, 16 years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that to me – makes a lot of sense i I love seeing drew ranked in this area i'm okay with him being out the top 10 i think a lot of people still want to look at him as a top 10 player in the nfl i don't think that that's true for him anymore but just outside of the top 10 and again more importantly in relation with where the rest of these quarterbacks landed i I think that this is appropriate and i'm 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 totally fine with this ranking
1: yeah and and everything at some point it's just Every player, especially as a quarterback, when you get to this age, you're going to need to be carried more by your teammates. And that's just yes. the fact of life. Drew Brees can no longer do it by himself, as it, at least as it appeared before, mm-hmm. where you just felt like, oh, that was enough to win games, is having Drew Brees. Yep. That's not the case anymore, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means there's more opportunity to be shared around the Saints. Right. Okay, so... Now we get into the top ten. So I'm going to let you break down how you think it's going to go because we don't know yet. I'll give you the names, and you Mm -hmm. tell me how you think this is going to go. So this is just an alphabetical order. Aaron Donald, Stephon Gilmore, Derrick Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, Lamar Jackson, George Kittle, um, McCaffrey, Pat Mahomes, and and Wilson.
0: Russell Wilson. All right, let me get, let me let me let me get a visual representation of this list so I don't. I miss think Mahomes name. becomes. One I think Mahomes no is number what. one. Yeah, yeah, Mahomes is probably number one. More than likely, again, we're talking about positional value, right? So uh, I think that you got Mahomes at number one. It makes sense to me then that you would probably have uh, Lamar Jackson at number two. Do These you are think because Donald
1: was two last year?
0: Oh, I, you see, that's why I, that's why I want this list. Okay, I have it now. Yeah, I forgot about Aaron Donald. That's my bad. Aaron Donald makes sense at number two to stay there. There's no reason to drop. Like I didn't see anything in 2019 that creates a reason to drop him. The only thing would be that if they feel like Lamar Jackson's MVP season is going to be enough of a conversation starter within the league to force the players to rank him higher than they ranked Aaron Donald just by proxy, then that makes sense to me if that happened, but I don't think that that would be intentional. I think Aaron Donald makes sense at number two. I would then look at uh, Lamar Jackson at number three. And then my hope would be, So this is my thing with with Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, to me, should be the highest-ranked non-quarterback outside of Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the NFL, be it's there. To me, Michael Thomas, outside of the quarterbacks in the league, he's the best offensive player in the NFL. So to me, I want Michael Thomas to either rank at number four in this conversation or at number 10. And the reason why I say at number 10 is because it would piss him off And he will have a fantastic 2020 (laughs) because of it. You know what I'm saying? But then if he also gets that high ranking to where he's the highest rated non-quarterback, non-Aaron Donald part of the conversation, then, you know, he's got the chip on his shoulder. He's got the confidence.
1: He's an absolute prove it guy. Either way, like you said, if if you put him number three or four, he's going to say, I told you. And he's going to come out and show you that every week. And like you said, if Mm -hmm. you put him at 10, he's going to be like, 10!
0: Right. <laughs> he's going to be pissed. Because be I wouldn't pissed. put him behind
1: Derrick Henry. There's just I, – no. I couldn't do that. Um, because, again, I think you could – you can't replace Derrick Henry for Houston. I mean, for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just I, – I, I couldn't put him ahead. Of. Stephon yeah. Gilmore.
0: I'm curious to see where he's going to fall. That's hard to put a that's shutdown a really corner hard. in
1: the top five. Right. Unless right. you are just literally – you'd have to be a Deion Sanders level where you are changing games right. by scoring
0: yeah. yourself, right. and that's not Gilmore. Right. Right.
1: So I don't think he gets that high.
0: No, So I'm thinking I think, the
1: top five – see, Kittle is an interesting
0: proposition. Right. He's really interesting. Him and Russell Wilson are really interesting to round out the five for me. Because you figure Russell Wilson is in the five. You have to imagine that. Like, you have to imagine that he's in the top five. So, th- you imagine three-, three, five, three quarterbacks in the five
1: and Aaron Donald. So, number yeah. five, whoever that is, mm-hmm. becomes – that's a hard question because it doesn't become – like you said, it could easily be a Mike Thomas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, But do you dev- – are those, those folks who value DeAndre Hopkins there? Does that mess up right. the vote in that position right. – and I just don't see Gilmore jumping up there, but it, it comes down to Kittle. I, I don't see how you can put Mike Thomas behind Derrick Henry. I just don't see how yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I can't possible. see that. I can't but see I the same can thing. see Kittle, the case for Kittle being he's, there's no matchup for him right. even with Garoppolo at quarterback. You right. still couldn't stop
0: him. <laughs> right. Like can, can Michael Thomas be held accountable for having a better quarterback than George Kittle? which is a conversation that we've seen happen several times, not that specific conversation, but the conversation of, well, Michael Thomas gets devalued because of the quarterback that he has. We've seen that before. And we've seen DeAndre Hopkins devalue Michael Thomas because of the quarterback. Like we've seen that conversation before. So how does uh, does
1: Sean Watson?
0: Right. I know. I know. it, (laughs) I know. it, I know he just straight up disrespect the Sean Watson, if we're being real. Um, And then the other ones, like I can't put Christian McCaffrey, I can't put a running back period. Ahead of Michael Thomas, I can't do it. I, I would have I have trouble putting a running back, either one of those running backs, ahead of George Kittle. To an extent, maybe Christian McCaffrey would be. Uh, I would more, have McCaffrey higher no, than than Derrick Henry, though. Than Derrick Henry for sure, and then I also have trouble putting either of them higher than. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So for me, I feel like it's going to be some form of Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, George Kittle that populates that five, six, seven, or four, five, six with Russell Wilson involved somewhere in there as well. Yeah, you know it feels like saying?
1: Henry and Gilmore are not eight, nine, ten level guys. Right. And I would say right. this: I think McCaffrey will get boosted though. I think McCaffrey yeah, ends to figure up out in that he's top end six up. or seven. Yeah. I think McCaffrey's in that group because of the 1000
0: right whenever I could see you do it, that yeah and on a could, bad
1: team too
0: yeah i could see george kittle getting devalued a little bit because of his position as well at tight end and then it's sort of falling that back four or five being like christian mccaffrey george kittle and then you get into like the Stephon gilmore derrick henry part of the conversation
1: mm-hmm. as well it's going to be interesting because it's going to piss somebody off
0: and i hope it's michael thomas <laughs> I hope it's Michael Thomas. Like I, I don't want him. I don't believe that he should be ranked at number ten. But I, oh Lord, do I want him to fall at, at, at ten? Because first of all, we will see one of the most insane Twitter rants we've ever seen, and we might see a really fantastic twenty twenty based on it too. And you will, know, the, he will clap back. The
1: rest of the best of part of it too is that the rest of his teammates will do it too. They'll oh. do it for him.
0: Oh yeah, Cam, Cam will be
1: him. out there <laughs> like crazy. He's enjoyed his
0: time off. <laughs> He really has, man. He's been super dope. Dude, he's become a Twitter
1: superstar.
0: He man. really and, has. And I think he was Cam, ranked, what, like highest in engagements or something like that or interactions with fans on Twitter yep. in the NFL? I, I really think you could Cam, if you're talking about a future
1: broadcaster.
0: Oh, 100%. Dude. 100%. That guy has
1: everything laid out in front of him. If he wants yep. to do podcasts, if he wants to do whatever, I, he's entertaining and, and intelligent enough – to keep a broad audience. And oh,
0: yeah. I think he's just a fantastic um, voice. Tell um, him shave he, shave his head, keep the mustache and a beard, and he can come and chill with us. Yeah. Over at the yeah <laughs> <at the dorm. laughs> sure. No problem. We got you, Cam. We Cam, got you, dog. We got an open <laughs>
1: invite. Any Wednesday you want to <laughs> join us, man. Uh, this was great. Um yeah, and, w- and hopefully we'll see some more. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with more players, and mm-hmm. we'll see what happens as the Saints continue to report. But Not a, not a, this is a business week for the NFL. Right. Not really uh, something to talk about on the field. But like you said, with any time you have these rankings and things, it's so subjective and yet we still get emotionally involved in them.
0: We really do. We really do. Like I love to talk about how much. Like ah, it's the don't matter. Blah blah blah. But then like when I get to actually talking about it, when the conversation is presented to me, I'm ready to take a stand. I can pick a side. Like I get. I'm 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 100% invested in those moments.
1: The only thing is, I I don't care what any player says. I'm still gonna that 42 for Alvin Kamara being 34 spots <laughs> ahead of Mark. No Saints fan could in their mind justify that. Even the right. the, the, the most diehard Kamara fan would never right. say that he. Come
0: on. 30-something players. Better 25
1: than... the spots ahead of the Mario Davis? Right. Come on, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> dude, another great one. Um, fantastic being with you again. Tell folks uh, uh, one more time how they can follow you and what you got working.
0: Absolutely, man. Always a Not pleasure, brother. Though. Not everything. I'm going to keep this short. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it short. We might be here for another hour if I try to run through everything. Uh, no, man, I appreciate you. Always a pleasure to be here. I always. This is a highlight of my week on these Wednesdays, so I always look forward to it. Uh, y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. Check out the podcast Locked on Saints every single Monday through Friday. 22 to 30 minutes to get you through your drive, your commute, whatever it is, your walk during the day. You know, We're all trying to get outside a little bit. Whatever it is that you need, I got you covered there, and that's daily just like hard and the paint is daily as well So especially if you're checking us both out right show that love uh, and then of course you can check out all the written work over at canal street chronicles as well uh man always a pleasure brother thank you very much for having me back and uh as i said i always look forward to these
1: yes and we will talk offline as we usually do always and, um we'll be back again next week so for ross jackson i am david grub make sure you follow me at dm grub and visit the website hitpwithpg.com for all of my content there as well. So this has been another Dope Patrol and another Hard to Paint.